to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Fulick. Welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fulick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to business continuity, crisis management, COVID, well-being, emergency management, anything that helps you, your organization, or your community prepare for, respond to, and overcome adverse situations. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, please feel free. You can find me on LinkedIn. I am the only Alex Fullick there. I'm really easy to find, and I do respond to everything I get. As always, today we're going to talk about one of the subjects I mentioned at the beginning. Today, it's going to be handling communications during a crisis. And I'd like to welcome to the show, Sheena Thompson. Sheena, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Alex, and uh, thank you for the um, invitation. Delighted to be here. My pleasure. Now, uh, I know we've exchanged some emails and uh, I have some information, but just in case uh, people around the globe aren't familiar with who Sheena is, can you take a minute or two and tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, and how you got into this crazy industry of ours? Of course. Um, So my name is Sheena Thompson, as you know. Um, I run a a crisis and risk um, consultancy, and we focus very much on the the preparation, response, and recovery of uh, organisations who um, are in areas where there is risk that needs to be managed. Um, I spent probably about eleven years, just under eleven years, working overseas, mainly in the Middle East, um, a little bit in North America, a little bit in Europe, and before that, I was in the corporate sector all in communications jobs, all in sort of front of house comms jobs. But my main um, sort of grounding in in crisis communications comes from my time in the Royal Navy, where I served initially as a personnel selection officer, but latterly as a media operations officer. And I had a couple of uh, frontline roles, one of which was the NATO SOS spokesperson in Bosnia. I've done a few other spokesperson roles too, so I'm very much... Um, front of mind when I'm dealing in a crisis because I've, I've got quite a, a bit of experience at the front line, so to speak. It's funny you mentioned Bosnia. My cousin was uh, actually in the army in Bosnia all those years okay. ago. Wonderful. Yeah, but it's a multinational force. I think mm-hmm. there were 40 different nationalities in S4, and I did actually work um, with mainly Americans and Canadians in the the press, off, press well, the College and Press Information Centre in Sarajevo. Oh, wow. Interesting. Welcome to the show. (laughs) Thank you. Now, as I said at the beginning, we're going to be talking about handling uh, communications during a crisis. And the first thing we're going to touch on is stakeholders. What is a stakeholder? Who is a stakeholder? So a stakeholder is basically anyone who has a stake in the success or failure of an organization. And that can cover a vast plethora of individuals or organizations but but in its crudest form um it's essentially the general public uh, particularly if you're in the emergency services or that um it's an incident or a situation where the public are impacted uh employees um it can also mean if you're in a company it's your your suppliers it's your clients it's your um um investors Uh, it's emergency services, it's basically anyone that has an involvement in or a stake in an instant event or risk that the the company or organisation might be faced with. So how do you manage so many different groups? You just follow one textbook way of doing that or different groups require different actions? So there are many different playbooks for different types of situations and scenarios. the most important thing you do uh, when it comes to business continuity, crisis management planning is you have a plan or a playbook and each playbook or plan will vary according to the organisation and the main line of business that they're in. 
But the most important thing is that you do that stakeholder analysis as part of your preparation. And what, quite often what happens is all the stakeholder groups, they'll all have um, different needs, they'll all have different priorities, they'll all have different interests in the, the situation. So, for example, if it's a an organisation, say a food production company that's involved in a, a product recall, for example, obviously the customers need to be communicated, so that's one stakeholder. The retailers need to be communicated, that's another um, stakeholder. Then you've got the suppliers, you've got the, the the regulatory authorities. So you've got a number of stakeholders which will all require segmentation. The messaging, the top line messaging is the same, but then the um, way in which you deal with them and the uh, after action or the call to action um, messaging will be obviously a little different. Do you identify stakeholders before any situation occurs because uh, I, I'm just thinking you know if suddenly something happens wouldn't it take time to get a bunch of people sitting at a room and then going hmm, who are our stakeholders wouldn't you kind of have a list and uh, or would you have a list ahead of time to say okay in this situation uh number three number seven number number nine type thing are our key ones you know how would how would you go about that no, you would absolutely do it beforehand, and that would come as part of your your crisis management or business continuity planning. And that's the, that's where you can you can really um, get an edge and get a, an advantage um, over a successful outcome versus not doing anything at all. So, in an ideal world, you'd have all that identified in a plan. You would exercise that plan on a regular basis, so people would know exactly who they're looking after where to go for the messaging, what the messaging is, and if they have any statements um, prepared, which gives you a little bit of time at the beginning that you mm -hmm. can um, then leverage and use. So, but on the, actually when the incident happens, so a plan can only take you so far, a plan won't tell you what decision to make with the facts that are emerging. So what you would then do is when an incident or a crisis occurs, you would then convene your business continuity team or your crisis management team, you would then review the stakeholders because contingent on the incident would be mm -hmm. um, who would be looking after which one. So it might be an incident that's really ramping up, but it hasn't hit yet. So there's still an window of opportunity to mitigate that. So then you would take intervention at an early stage to try, try and, I mean, that's the best outcome to try and ward off a crisis. But if you can't, then it would be a full review and who's doing what and how you get the messaging, how it gets signed off, et cetera, et cetera. Well, we're going to talk about messaging later on, so I'm not going to ask you any questions about that yeah. right now. Depending on the situation, how do you determine who your key stakeholder is? Is it a regulator who's breathing down your neck, the media who's usually breathing down your neck, <laughs> or the public who's usually breathing down your neck? <laughs> how do you um, determine who, who gets what? So it very much depends on the type of the incident. So if, if it's public safety, then absolutely, you're dealing with the regulators and the public first off. So um, uh, again, I go back to the example of, the, of food safety. It will be the um, uh, regulators that will want to know the detail, because uh, obviously there will be a, um, a legal process which may or may not um, kick in. Uh, but then the, the mo most important thing, when it, as I say, if it comes to public safety or security or anything that's going to um, be significant in the lives of people, then you would communicate with the general public. And there are several methods to do that. You've already mentioned one, the media. The media are, in the times of a crisis, they can be your best friend or your worst enemy. So my, my advice is always to engage with them early on, even though you might not have too much to say. Um, you, you basically need to keep that line of communication open to turn it on when the facts are known and you do have something more more concrete to say once the facts are known. Uh, we're also going to be talking about uh, some of the media a little later too. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, During a situation, stakeholders cha could change, right, as, yeah. as the, the situation changed. How do you go about managing that when you're trying to manage the situation, it's changing, but also your stakeholders are changing. How do you go about managing that? So what's important to always bear in mind at the beginning of a crisis, everyone wants to know everything. There's a real um, thirst 
for information because they don't know if they're going to be impacted or not. They just want to know what it is. Is it true? How does it affect me? What do I need to do? Now, if you get your messaging and your stakeholder um, analysis right at the very beginning, it, it, it's absolutely key that there are some stakeholders which actually won't be too directly impacted. So that then becomes uh, an exercise in, in communicating reassurance um, or just letting them know, no, you're not affected. It's not it's not in your line of products if it's the product recall or whatever. Um, and, you know, at, at the early stage, that would be then one stakeholder group that you don't perhaps don't have to to talk to too much during the instant or the, 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 the crisis. However, if you don't look after your regulator, for example, then you then it might become a political issue because the regulators mm-hmm. might might um, be seen to not doing enough to put pressure on the organization. In which case, then the, the the politicians start to take the heat, and that's when it becomes a bit more, um, a bit more of a um, a challenging exercise um, in terms of crisis communications. So it is a constantly evolving um, dynamic which you always have to keep uh, in mind. Again, contingent on the exercise, but the the three sort of areas which I always find um, caught, create more attention. Um, when it comes to stakeholder management, is at any instant that is likely to provoke an emotional reaction, mm-hmm. um, any uh, incident which um, might make people um, sort of uh, have a very myopic view, like that, that's the only thing they, they're thinking about. So if they're going to lose a lot of money because you know their shares are tanking because something's happened, um, <laughs> or um, you know if 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 their own safety is at risk. Um, and I think the coronavirus pandemic was a, a very good example of that. You know, people just wanted lots of information very quickly. Is it true that stakeholders can also be internal? The, the reason I ask is um, we could have, I know you're in the UK and I'm in Canada. So let's say we work for the same organization. I have an issue over here, but I can still be impacting operations where you are in your office, right? So do, do we have internal stakeholders as well? So the, de- the definition is any stakeholder is somebody who has a stake in the, the success or failure of an organization. And that absolutely includes employees. It also includes suppliers and contractors. They often get left out of key communications, but they are mm. a, a, exactly, um, you know, de facto an extension of of, of the, the the workforce if you like so yes they do and where you've got in you know this very globalized world that we're living in where you have got colleagues in other countries um if there's an incident in one of their um operations in another country then of course other employees are going to feel that particularly if it's a if it's a you know it's a grave situation or it's you know a fire or something where people are, are directly impacted then yes you do um, if it's uh, if it's mass layoffs again, you're going to get public sympathy both internally and externally. In that case, that's when you have to have your internal communication policies very um, very uh, very pinned down, so you can give that direct guidance. And you know, classic ones are stay off social media. Um, um, you know, make sure you don't say anything to publicly or speak to journalists. That's another one which often gets forgotten. So it's always a good opportunity to reinforce those policies with your internal stakeholders and, you know, leave the prime communications to, to the comms department or the comms people that are supporting the crisis management team. Yeah, that's why I was asking, because there have been instances where uh, a factory or an office is having a, an impact on the other side of the world but mm. all of a sudden, people in your own office who n- not even close to mm. you know, what's happening in the UK, as an example, um, I'm getting a bunch of calls. So, okay, well, someone needs to communicate with me because I'm getting, mm. and you mentioned it, suppliers and everybody calling me. You know, So I'm a stakeholder in this too, but I'm not really impacted by the actual situation going on. Well, you are because you're getting calls. So, well, that's sorry, why, I meant not yeah, directly yeah. impacted. Yes, I, I understand, but, but 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 somebody in an office in Canada um, who is directly impacted by an incident that's happening in India or wherever, uh, you know, whether it's flooding or, or whatever. Yes, they are. And um, a classic example: I was sitting in a corporate office in Edinburgh, 
And it was the morning of 9-11 and I got a call from the press saying, have you got an office in the World Trade Center? And I mm-hmm. said, oh, I don't think so. Why? He goes, just turn on the television. And that's how I knew about 9-11. So, yes, absolutely, you, you, you do um, you do need to be aware of, of things going on around the world if you have offices or colleagues or suppliers around the world. Mm-hmm. And the most effective way to do that is to have it in, covered in your plan. And, mm-hmm. you know, when, when the plan is activated... You think right okay we've got offices everywhere we'll just send a you know a note to all staff saying this has happened there's limited information we'll update you regularly uh, and depending how the plan is is uh, resourced then there should be country representatives that are taking information this this happened all the time when i was in the 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 navy when i worked at a, a fleet headquarters job where we had incidents on the other side of the world at you know, attracting a lot of attention um, in various countries for, for, and military attaches and the embassies around the world were getting calls. So I then had to make sure I had the information from headquarters level that was then being cascaded down for information so they could field local media calls. So that, that's another example of how it might work. And I guess to to add to that, that's also when you uh, reiterate some of the policies that you should and shouldn't do. Don't post things you know, on social media, don't talk to the media, direct everyone to XYZ person, whoever that may be, you know, th- those mm-hmm. kind of things get reiterated too. Yes. And also it's an opportunity to, you know, if you need your staff to, or employees to um, reinforce a message that you're putting out, for example, I'll keep going back to the product recall, you know, all our products are safe. And um, so th- there's also an opportunity to reassure or, or use, um, internal communication methods um, to to reinforce the message that you're trying to put out externally. Because obviously people still have conversations. You can't Mm -hmm. stop people having conversations. Yeah. On that, we've come to the end of our first segment. We are talking today with Sheena Thompson about handling communications during a disaster. And we'll be right back. America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. The latest business information is made simple with the Voice America Business Network. The professionals in the business world bring you live talk radio shows featuring an array of business topics, strategies for building wealth, sales and marketing, stock trading, investing, and business technology. Voice America business hosts are professionals in their fields and bring to the airwaves weekly business discussions that offer up-to-date information, advice, and education. The Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business talk. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fullen. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. Today, we are talking with Sheena Thompson about handling communications in a disaster. Sheena, great first segment talking about stakeholders and uh, setting the stage there. Now, let's move to um, the crisis management team and communications. I'm wondering who or how do you develop messages in for the crisis management team? Is everybody just sending out their own thing? How, How does that get started when something happens? 
Great question. Um, so the most important point is when a crisis happens or when there's an issue that's um, escalating, you convene the crisis management team or whatever name you give it. But it's essentially the people that are doing the operational management of the incident. Um, so you, you put them together. Uh, there's various roles within that team. I mean, that's a whole new separate uh, episode. But you would, you would have people on the finance side, you'd have people on the legal side, you'd have somebody from the exec, um, from the operational side, again, contingent on the, the, the sector or, or what the incident is, people that would be most closely um, connected to resolving that incident or um, recovering from the disaster. Now, the communications role there, it's two-way, and literally it's what information coming in and information going out. And the most important point here is that in the first few minutes, hours of an incident, it can it's it's very, very unclear what's going on. So the, the listening part is essential because it's only when you've then and you'll get a lot of conflicting information as well because people are confused. And then so you've got the, the information coming internally and then you've got the news feed coming from social media um, when that's, you know, when it becomes public, if it, if it gets to that. So you're putting all of this together, um, building up a picture of what's happened, how's it looking, what do we need to do to um, get the message out or to uh, speak to the, the general public or whoever your identified stakeholders are. And that comes from basically... Uh, dialogue within the, the the crisis management team and that that communications expert uh, providing the counsel and the advice required to help not just with the critical decision making but to help with the messaging and then that messaging then will feed into a, whoever's leading with the message delivery i'm i'm glad you said that because i was just thinking going what happens if um a member of the crisis management team, uh, and you mentioned, uh, you know, someone from finance, let's say, here's a rumor or something being said, they part of their role should be, I believe, to communicate what they've heard to the crisis management, uh, or sorry, to the communications person, mm. right? So yeah. that it can be dealt with uh, appropriately, if yeah. needed. Yeah. So the main thing with the, the, the finance or, uh, is to to provide guidance and advice, not to influence the the, the critical decision making. Because particularly when there's a, a you know loss of life or public safety involved, finance just doesn't it's mm. just not important. It just needs to be known what the the cost of a product recall is or what the cost of bringing in experts to recover um, you know a situation. Because you sometimes do need to bring in. Um, experts to do that forensics or independent you know um, uh, investigators or, or whatever but what is important is that when the um, all the facts are known it, it provides the uh, executive with the key information they need to make critical decisions both operationally and um, from a messaging point of view from a communications point of view and who to communicate what and when the would I be correct in saying, if I'm following along, that the communications team member or members, they're not making any decisions on the communications. They're just the ones who are disseminating it. Is that right? No. Um, okay. There's two or three. There's two or three roles. So first of all, a lot of people think communications is just a post office, and here's the message. Off you go. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. <laughs> you know, and you know, it's it's you know, it's a battle I've had all all my um not all my days, but it's it's I, I see it frequently for a couple of days. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, and I think I mean I would guard against um executives or anyone who um. In, who's involved in the crisis that sees that that as the communications role communications is a strategic function it can actually give you a route uh, or help you with a route through to getting a successful conclusion of the um the crisis so it's gathering information it's analyzing information and it's providing guidance and then once that guidance is given then it becomes uh you know crafting the message crafting the um um, the, the statement, discussing it with legal, um, discussing it with the technical people. There's a very important point. You know, you do have to um, 
consult with subject matter experts when you're putting together a statement during a crisis. And then only then will it go to the executive for their approval or whoever it has been um, you know, deemed uh, as the last authority. And usually the buck stops with the CEO. Um, mm-hmm. So it would have to go through that that process. And only then it is released to the, the public or put out on Twitter or, or social media um, or, or there's a press conference, whatever the route to to um, to, to the audience has been deemed as necessary. So it's it's quite a long process, but, but it has to happen very quickly in a crisis. <laughs> I, I, I was just going to say that. Well, how long can it go if you're in a crisis? But but that's okay. You you followed up but, on you know, that. If, you, if you if you've got a tight team and you've got a good plan and you rehearse it regularly, this should all just happen very quickly. You know, mm-hmm. in the first stages of a crisis these days, they used to talk about the golden era. That's completely gone in most cases. It's less than fifteen minutes, and I always, yeah. um, I always use the um, Metropolitan Police in London um, as 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 the benchmark because they have to react very very quickly because they've dealt with so many terrorist incidents. I mean, obviously, not every incident is as life threatening as that, but it's a good indicator. I think their record is like seven minutes um, for getting something out on social media from when they got the first nine 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 call. Yeah, you, you see it today, even during uh, exercises where you're evacuating the building and you're just testing your evacuation plan, mm. people are already sending texts. I was walking with someone once. They were yeah. sending their partner a text. Yeah, we're having a, a, an evacuation drill, at yeah. home, and their partner actually worked across the street, funny enough. Mm. So they were already sending a message saying, yeah, we're having a drill. Don't think anything's happening over here. Yeah. Kind of going... Wow, you know, alarms only been going for thirty seconds, and yeah. messages are already getting out there. <laughs> yeah, it's true. You have to. I mean, seven <clears throat> minutes in real time is actually a very long time in a, a situation such as you know a terrorist incident because yeah. everything will be out on social media by then. But they need that confirmation from the authorities to to you know to 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 give it validity, if you like, and to know that the that the authorities are, are are dealing with it and providing the guidance. Mm-hmm. Now let's talk about the spokesperson who the, because you mentioned press conferences and really at one point that was really the only way messages were conveyed, you know, and what kind of person and who should be uh, the spokesperson who should be talking with the, uh, the journalist standing out in front with all the microphones. Very good question. Um, And I'm asked that a lot when I do media training. Um, the first thing is it shouldn't be somebody that doesn't want to do it. So it has to be a willing partner. Um, quite often you'll put, or I see organizations putting up um, probably the most appropriate person, but they don't want to do it or they're, they're too busy tied up doing something else um, during the crisis. There is always a tendency to put up the um, technical expert um, as the spokesperson when an incident's happening. That's not the best person as the incident is happening. That's the best person mm-hmm for the press conference after the incident so they can explain what's happened. Um, case in point was the Rogers outage you had in Canada earlier mm. on this year. <laughs> and it was the, um, I believe it was the uh, sort of the chief technical officer who was doing the media interviews from what I saw, but he was being called into the incident room at the same time. So he's that, that level isn't correct as a spokesperson during an incident. The best people are the people who are very close to the executive or the incident or um, somebody who has been trained and is the regular spokesperson and is already recognised as the the voice of that organisation. The most authoritative and credible voice of an organisation, of course, is the chief executive officer. Mm -hmm. He might be called in. It might be most appropriate for him. But if he's too busy fighting the fire with investors or whoever, then it would be somebody very close to him but the most important thing, it has to be somebody credible that knows the organisational culture and um, has intimate knowledge of its inner workings, but also is extremely well plugged into the crisis management team. So they've got the information and they know it's been approved and it's gone through this approval system, which I just mentioned. I, I've heard that uh, the spokesperson uh, could be a, you know, a PR person or a crisis management person or something like that. But at some point, no matter what, the face of the organization, the CEO, she has to appear at some point. She they does indeed. Hide. Yeah, she or he has to. Um, 
the way the news is disseminated now with the advent of social media and you know 24 7 news coverage um there will be a spokesperson appointed that can free up the ceo's time during the incident and again that might be a sort of you know deputy or whatever um but when it comes to the the, the press conference sort of several hours after the incident um where all the facts are known and you know the the, the We've reached a point where the incident maybe hasn't finished, but it's gone. It's got to the stage where it's it's now manageable and it's in a mm. safe state or whatever. But obviously, a crisis can last for many months until after the investigation. So, the best person to speak at, at that point, and it might be, I think, the other incident I use is um, there was a the very first wildfire in California. I think it was a place called Paradise. So they had that mass evacuation, if you recall, first thing in the morning. Yeah. They didn't have the press conference till the afternoon. And that was about right because, you know, the, 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 the most most of the incident, uh, as in the life-threatening actions to make people safe, that had all happened. But they, obviously it was still rolling on. And that would be the perfect time for really a, a CEO to step forward and, and speak. You know, one, once the immediate danger or, or incident is is past its worst, for want of a better expression, and then they can explain once they've got all the information at hand. Now, you mentioned uh, sometimes the the person speaking or presenting to a journalist at a press conference isn't uh, always the right person. So what kind of qualities should a, a good PR person, a good spokesperson have? Uh, well, first and foremost, they, they have to have good communication skills, but they also have to be confident. Um, they also have to be very knowledgeable about their subject, whether that's the company, um, you know, its products, its position in the market or its organization. Um, but it also has to, has to be well respected or the person has to be well respected and, um, credible within the organization. Otherwise, people aren't going to trust them with the sort of information that they're going to be. Uh, required to um, use in, in a, uh, a public forum, whether it's a you know um, you know press conference or a media interview. So those are the the, the key ones. You know, confidence, um, credibility, um, good communication skills, all the C's. <laughs> really. <Yeah. laughs> um, and and you know you can coach them. Uh, it's not a it's not a long long journey on that they need long lonely journey they need to do on their own. Um, it's very lonely once you're up there, and I speak from experience. Once you're in the interview, <laughs> it's very lonely. But if you've got a good support network around you, um, constantly giving you information, and it just helps you build up that sort of sort of mass of um, knowledge, which gives you the credibility in front of the journalist. So if you've got credibility within the organisation, it transfers well when you're speaking to the media. So, what about how you present yourself? Because I've known, and I'm sure we've all seen, somebody who's confident, they're high up in the organization, they know the business, they know what's going on, but boy, watching them, you just go, what is up with you, <laughs> type thing. <laughs> you know, so are there do's and don'ts you know, when you're standing of, there? Yeah, there's lots of do's and don'ts. And I, I do remember when my very first press interview, I had no media training at all, and it was a live um on air interview and it's very very difficult to get um i mean you do need a bit of adrenaline adrenaline in in there to sort of keep you on your toes but it's um the best way to describe it is when you're when you're in the when you're under that pressure and you're trying to formulate answers to questions that journalists have given you that you perhaps are not very confident about um um responding to it's just have that confidence because there are things you can talk about and you know, at the end of the day, you're there to, to, to give out a message about what's happened within your company or your organisation. The journalist will ask you other questions. You don't have to answer them directly. You can answer them in a way that you know is is right for the organisation and is truthful and is credible. And if it's not relevant, you just say, or you don't know the answer, it's perfectly fine to say, look, I can't talk about that right now. Um, when the time is right, we will. Or, or you can just say... I, I'll, I'll get back to you. I don't have the facts at my fingertips. It's, it, you don't. You don't have to um, 
it's all right to say no. And it's the same when you're being doorstep by journalists outside. You don't have to speak to them just because they're sticking a microphone in your face. Mm-hmm. And I guess, you know, how you present yourself too, you know, if, if you're a confident person, hunching over and looking at papers isn't really going to convey confidence, even though you may be knowledgeable, it's going to look like mm. you're hiding or something, right? Like how you, how people look at you and uh, see you, how yeah. you're presenting I think if it's not in your head, then you're not prepared. <clears throat> and, it, you know, we all have memory issues. <laughs> but, <laughs> but um, you know, so, for example, if the spokesperson is, is the spokesperson for the company, not just for the incident, then they'll have a lot of facts and figures in their head. And the only information they'll need to maybe refer to is related to the incident. And it's perfectly fine just to look down at your notes and then just think, yeah, okay, yeah, I see here, or you're on your iPhone and you're getting a message from somebody, you know, if it's that dynamic, if that's fine. It's when you've got your head buried down like this all the time. That's not, that's not good. Um, yeah. you know, t- t- try, try to do a bit of training beforehand. Try to prep up at the end of the day. You know, you're speaking to the public and that public can be just some little grandmother in a, in a, a room somewhere. And, you know, you're just having a conversation and the, mm-hmm. the journalist is the, uh, the conduit to that conversation. Well, great. On that note, we've come to the end of our second segment. We are talking about handling communications during a crisis. And we are talking with Sheena Thompson today. We'll be right back. America at facebook.com forward slash voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. If you currently or aspire to serve on a board or work in a leadership capacity for or with a public or nonprofit organization, where can you turn to get the best advice and practices? How about Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl White and Dr. Andre Howard? Our program discusses challenges facing both public and nonprofit leaders. Don't miss these practical solutions and tips to enhance your leadership style and effectiveness. Leadership Matters airs live Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific, 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. We're talking with Sheena Thompson today about handling communications during a crisis or disaster. Sheena, great first and second second segments there. Lots of good information. Now, I, I said uh, in the first segment that we'd be talking about messaging. So here we are in our last segment. Can you tell us exactly what messaging is? So messaging falls into several camps. Um, the first and most important one when it comes to sort of crisis and incident management are the facts. You have to make sure the facts are all um, validated and correct. Um, the second one is uh, how you put them together in terms of uh, what type of message is it going to be? Is it going to be a tweet or a social media post um, or is it going to be a statement? How are you going to what, what method are you going to use to put that message out? And then the third one is the purpose of the message. What is the purpose of the message? Is it just to feed um uh, the, the media frenzy, if you like, or is it, is it, has it, have you got to get a public information or public safety message out there? So what is the purpose of the, of the, the message? 
Uh, and then the fourth one is the tone. And that's where the, the stakeholders come in. You have to make sure it has the right tone because the tone of a message perhaps going to uh, regulators will be different to the tone of the message going out to um, the public if you're asking them to do something or it's a call to action. That could be a lot of different messages. It can that's be a lot of different time. messages. Yes, but the, the, so that's where there's the stakeholder um, mapping comes in. You have to sort of segment which ones go, which are most important and pressing. Um, and then the, the other thing you have to do, you don't have to overcomplicate it, but you just have to review it. And it might be, you know, one person talking to another person, or it might be, um, you know, several people in several countries putting out the same message, but there might be just one or two different cultural sensitivities you need to factor in there which is why you need the plan. <laughs> mm -hmm. In in the first segment, uh, I, I didn't want to mention it or even hint at it because I knew I'd be asking now. You talked about uh, or, or just referenced like templates or, or prefabricated messages. How does that come in? So the templates are um, what they say in the tin. They, they, they will basically buy you a little bit of time in those early stages of the um, instant. They're just there to help you get through that, that first 15 minutes or hour or, you know, however long it is. And they are literally, you know, I can confirm X incident has happened at Y location today and then insert date. We are currently investigating and it's just something really top level. Mm -hmm. But the most important thing is it buys you time before you can get that second um, piece of communication out when more information is known. So, you know, you can't, you can't do, and the most important thing is it's been approved, it's been pre-approved by legal or whatever, it's, but what you have to put in are the facts. And that's why I said my last response was um, you have to make sure the facts are validated. And once they're validated, then you can get that out. I, I'm curious because you've mentioned legal a few times, and I've talked to crisis management people or business continuity people, resilience, whoever, and really, sometimes it seems to be a split that some are like, yes, review things with legal. Others are, we'll listen to legal, but keep them you know, at bay as long as you can. What are your thoughts on that? So either's fine. Um, but what I will say is if you um, don't ignore, if you do ignore legal counsel, then you might obviously be... Um, opening yourself up to, to litigation. But then the litigation mm. course might be um, uh, a less uh, perilous path than risking your reputation. So it's just a, that's, and that's where the two, the two um, have to be balanced out. What's more important, protecting, uh, your, you know, the, the, the legal position of the company or protecting the reputation or protecting public safety. It's, it's a balance. And that's why, um, communications, it's vital that you offer that counsel. And, it, you know, obviously it mm -hmm. might be that they'll go down the legal route, but then their shares will tank because the reputation suffers. Or, or you know, it might be that they um, they've ignored the advice um, and the regulators have come after them and they've got a massive fine afterwards or something like that. So it, the reason you get different answers is that people have different priorities. Um, the reason I say get it legally approved simply because it just gives you time. And then after the incident, they said, well, it was approved by legal. We just put in the date. So it's fine. It just buys you time in those early stages. And I guess, you know, depending on the situation too, you know, if, if, <laughs> if you, if you're focusing all on legal and ignoring public safety, when you should be focusing Absolutely. on public safety, you're going to be impacting your brand anyway. So exactly. And I, I think you're focusing the going the Bone 737 Max is a perfect example of that. Mm -hmm. So I, I've got a question now about social media, because you mentioned posting uh, items to social media. These days, with social media, people can say whatever they want, regardless yeah. of whether it gets taken down or, or blocked at some point. People really can say whatever they want. How do you know you're winning or losing the war on social media? Very good question. So the first thing with social media is, as you rightly say, anybody can post. So it's very, very important, very early on that you have um, listening, social media listening set up and they can set up, um, um, you know, to, to, to look for keywords um, or that reflect the tone. So 
if you see a you know if you're in the middle or approaching um um an incident or you know managing an incident you can very quickly see that you're getting criticized for not responding quick enough um so th that's my first tip is you have to get that social media listening in place very quickly the second one is you have to be able to respond to it very quickly and they can also social media listening can also um flag up the um the themes that need addressing so it might be that they're particularly nervous about a particular product or if it's an incident a particular area of the city that they need access to that they can't um and you can flag that and then that can then be fed into your messaging so it, it's a very, very it's also a very powerful tool for you to help manage the crisis too mm. um so it's, it's a positive as well as a negative but what's critical is you have that social media listening. It's not just monitoring, it's listening, it's looking for the, the tone as well. It's not just reading it, it's seeing the, the, the context and, and what is being said. We, we see some people falling into this trap, uh, responding to everything that's out there and getting into all these flame wars. On an organizational level, should you do that or just stay on message? Um, it's a good question. So... The most important thing in an incident is to get the right information out there, not respond to everything else that's happening or being said. So that's got to be your overriding priority, making sure that valid information that's been authenticated and, and, and um, you know, signed off by your internal sources that you can send it out. If you keep saying the same message over and over and over, people will then listen. But similarly, if, if they're coming up with really nervous you know if, if these themes are coming up that's when it feeds into your, your your messaging so listen to them acknowledge you've 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 heard them uh but 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 make sure that it's reverted to um a, a, as you say a higher message that you're it's constantly evolving which it will be if it's a crisis that's that's very dynamic in nature yeah because we we with social media i know um, and it's it's happened because we've seen it in the news over the last few years that somebody on the other side of the world is saying mm. something about what's happening in your area. Mm. You're like, how could you possibly know what's going on? So there's all this chance for rumor and conjecture going on. But as you say, stay on message and keep mm. repeating that message. And hopefully, I guess those people and rumors will just kind of fall to yeah. the wayside. No one will give them uh, attention. Yeah, it's repeating and evolving the message because obviously if it is clearly evolving and they can see it's evolving, but you're seeing the same message, it's 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 going to run into thin ground or thin ice very quickly. So just make sure as 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 their sentiment is 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 uh, and messaging or you know, their the responses on social media is, is evolving, so is your messaging. And then you should you should be good. I, I'm assuming that it would be important to make sure that whatever you're releasing on Facebook, Twitter, or LinkedIn, or whatever the case may be, is the same message that the um, PR person is saying in front of journalists, right? It just maybe, I, I don't yeah. know, is it the exact same thing, no matter what, on all platforms? What's important to understand, it's all one message. It's a methodology of getting it out that that that, that it, it changes or it, that's the skill and what the PR people then decide to do. You know, is it a statement? What do we do? Do we focus on the statement and then do we uh, reinforce that in social media or do we put it out in social media and reinforce it in a statement? So that's that's the most important thing you have to just bear in mind is that um, the messaging has to be completely um, linear. It has to be across all the organizations. It's how you get it out that will change. And that's where the PR people come in, which well, include digital, of course. <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> We've only got a couple of minutes left. Do you have any final thoughts or um, ideas you'd like to convey before we end today's show? I think with crisis communications, you <clears> just <throat> have to keep it simple. You have to keep it clear. You have to keep it credible. But most importantly, you have to make sure it's a two-way process because that input that you get from the public can really help you um, uh, make sure that you get a successful conclusion, particularly when it comes to incidents that directly impact them. Any quick tips for people who might be listening that maybe are a part of a crisis management team or a crisis communications team um, to have a look, you know, just say, hey, you know, maybe I should take a look at this. Any Any quick tips? Well, the main thing is to, if you've got a plan, rehearse it regularly. And when I say regularly, I mean every three or four months, 
minimum and the military we did it every month um obviously not on a grand scale but mm-hmm. only then will you find out what you should be reviewing re- on a regular basis whether it's your social media policy your media policies who is going to be a spokesperson are there any new technical experts that we can bring in obviously employees change as as the workforce changes but that's pretty much it if you, if you just follow that just review rehearse and uh, revise I've got a little bit extra time here. Who should be involved with the rehearsal? The whole crisis management team, or is it just kind of a talk through? So different types of exercises. You can just have a a ring around to make sure we've all got the numbers right um, and that people are responding and they do respond within two minutes or whatever your your benchmark. Um, Or it it can be a desktop exercise, probably about every three months, and then a fairly major exercise sort of half a day at least once a year, at least once a year. So that's the only way you'll build up your um, your capability and your um, your credibility. So when the you know the button has to be pushed, then you're ready for it and you can do it with confidence. And I, you just said the confidence, and I said the the uh, what I was going to say is the PR person too could also practice their role here to build up their confidence. So when they really are in front of you know a sea of reporters or, or mm. public or whoever stakeholders um they convey a confident message absolutely um and even if it's just practicing on each other in the office you know just mm-hmm. do dummy press conferences or dummy press interviews they really will you know it's it's, it's also part of your sort of wider professional training you know it's, it's communication skills that you're developing it's not just crisis communication skills so you know incorporate it in part of your wider leadership training or your wider you know ongoing mm-hmm. continuous professional development it's, it can be quite a lot of fun as well <laughs> <laughs> yeah it could be you know you can have mm-hmm. a, have some uh, laughs doing those exercises if you're gonna too. make a mis- if you're gonna make a mistake make it in a training exercise don't make it with a real press interview true true yeah <laughs> sheena we've come to the end of the show thank you so much for sharing your time and expertise uh, with us today i really appreciate it you're more than welcome thank you very much You're welcome. And everybody listening and watching, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll see you here next week.